0: Well, good morning, Saints. It's good to see you all as we gather for worship on this Lord's Day. We'd like to welcome you to Providence Presbyterian Church. We do hope that you are blessed this morning if you are visiting with us. We, uh, again, would hope that you are warmly received by our congregation. If you have any questions about our church, please feel free to come ask me or one of our elders. We would love uh, to talk to you. Before we begin our service of worship, friends, we do have uh, several announcements I'd like to uh, direct your attention to. Um, this is not in the bulletin uh, uh, yet, but I do want to let you all know that if you're in need of hearing aids or a hearing device to help listen to the sermon, to the worship service, we do have those available at the, at the table, the audio and uh, visual video table in the back. So please let us know if you need that. Also, we have translation services available for you if you need that uh, as well. As you can see here, we will celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion uh, this morning. There will be no fellowship meal and no evening service uh, tonight. No fellowship meal after the service today and no evening service uh, tonight. Also, there will be an additional offering taken up this morning in support of the Deacons Fund, and if you brought non-perishable food items to donate to the local food pantry, please uh, put them in the boxes provided in the narthex uh, out, out front, and thank you for donating. Also, beginning this week, you may notice that there's an insert in your bulletin uh, about foreign missions. This week, we will uh, be talking about and giving announcements out about uh, the various types of ministries that our, our thank offering goes toward, our worldwide uh, it goes towards worldwide outreach, which consists of uh, several different ministries, and so one of them is foreign missions, so this week is foreign missions, so please, if you have time, take a look at this. Next week will be home missions, I believe, and then we talk about Christian education. Uh, in the month of November, November every year, uh, our denomination takes, takes up what is called a thank offering, and so the idea is that this is giving above and beyond your normal giving uh, as you are led by the Lord, of course, and that money goes towards worldwide outreach, Worldwide outreach in our denomination pays for our missionaries who are sent out into uh, other parts of the world. It pays for home missions, church planters, church planting activities, and it pays for Christian education. And so, like our magazine, our denomination's magazine, um, other Christian education materials are paid for uh, by this offering. And so, uh, please consider to give to this. We will take up a special offering uh, the week of Thanksgiving, but you are certainly welcome to give towards the thank offering uh, before then. Just make sure that you write it on your memo line, or please use one of the envelopes available to you in the back. Um, and, be, and be in prayer for our church as we, as we take up this offering for uh, foreign missions, home missions, and Christian education. Uh, Also, please save the date. Our Christmas banquet will be held on Saturday, December 2nd at 5 p.m. So that's coming up uh, rather quickly. So please uh, reserve that day uh, for this. We would love to have everyone join us uh, for that. Also, um, if you would, please keep on your minds and your hearts the various prayer requests that are listed there in the insert in your bulletin. This week, our family of the week is the Agron family. So please pray for Val and Jeanette and pray for Johan, Bea, and Samantha. Uh, this week. A couple of items to note. Uh, You may have seen the email from uh, our sister Kay that came out earlier this week. Her sister-in-law Arlene Rogers uh, has passed into glory. She died this week and has gone on to be with the Lord. So please pray for uh, Kay and for the family as they mourn her loss. Also, uh, Eileen Vanderley has passed into glory as well this last week. Eileen Uh, was one of our elderly uh, sisters. Uh, She was living in uh, Midland. She had been a member of our church for some time, although uh, many of you probably have never met her. Uh, But she was a member of our church um, uh, for many, many years. Very sweet uh, lady. She was living in Midland. Uh, She passed away this week. And so please pray for uh, her family and um, uh, pray for the service which will be held On November 11th at St. Matthew's Episcopal Church in Austin. So that's November 11th, St. Matthew's Episcopal Church in Austin at 2 p.m. So she had been worshiping there uh, because she was unable to come here for some time. She had been attending there with her son. And so uh, they will be having the memorial service there. But please pray for these families who have lost uh, loved ones uh, during this time. Well, friends, I believe that takes care of all the announcements we have gathered here in the name of Christ to worship the only true and living God. As the music plays now, let us prepare our hearts to worship him. saints of providence presbyterian church grace to you and peace from god our father and from the lord jesus christ if you would not please stand as we hear god call us to worship him from psalm 67 i'm going to read the entire psalm may god be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all nations let the peoples praise you O god let all the peoples praise you Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let us now sing the doxology. Our Father and our God, we thank You, O Lord, that You have made us part of Your eternal kingdom, that we are the adopted sons and daughters of the God of heaven and earth through faith in Christ and by virtue of our union with Him. Father, we are the ones who worship You in spirit and in truth. We are Your holy saints who draw near to You, that we might bless Your name, that we might praise You. We pray, Father, that You would grant us eternal joy in Your spirit and And through drawing near to our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the gospel, in the sacrament of Holy Communion, we pray that you would bless us mightily in all of these things, that you might be glorified. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior and King. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite you to turn to the front of your hymnals to page Roman numeral 16. There you'll find a list of the Ten Commandments which we will recite out loud together. Beloved, the Ten Commandments are a revelation of the moral law of God to man. The Ten Commandments, God's moral law, they serve as a faithful guide to the Christian on how we are to live, how we, to are, how we are to magnify Jesus, whether by life or by death. And so let us remember uh, let's remember this as we read through the Ten Commandments and let us seek God's mercy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ alone. And God spoke all these words saying, "I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Beloved, having heard God's law, let us confess our sins to God together by reciting the prayer of confession that is listed in the insert in your bulletin. Heavenly Father, You are full of goodness and mercy, and we are full of sin and all kinds of iniquity. Against Your holiness, our sins are like filthy rags. We are altogether vicious and corrupt. Apart from Your grace, we would be lost in our sins, slaves to various passions and pleasures, continuing to pass our days in malice and envy. But you, O God, are good and merciful. Your steadfast love endures forever. Have mercy upon us, O God, and do not look upon our faults and iniquities, but look upon the righteousness, holiness, purity, and innocence of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus, who died for us. Forgive us of our sins for his sake. Amen beloved God is gracious, he is merciful, and he gives assurance to Christians, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, that our sins are forgiven. And we see this, for example, in the book of Philippians chapter 3, which we'll look at more closely in a couple of weeks. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Amen. If you would not turn in your hymnals to hymn 457, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, hymn 457, and let's all stand together as we sing. May be seated. We'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. This morning we are going to consider Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 and so we're starting a new chapter and also some new themes are going to be introduced in this chapter. So Philippians chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. Beloved before we hear God's word if you would join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together friends. Our Father and our God we thank you for the Bible for the inspired and infallible Word of God given to the church. This Bible that has been called by some the love letter of Jesus Christ to His bride. So we thank You for these words. We thank You for the living and active nature of the Word of God. We thank You for the Gospel. We pray, Father, that as the Gospel goes out from the mouth of Your servant this morning, we pray, Father, that our hearts would be subdued, that we would humble ourselves before the majesty of Jesus Christ, that lost sinners would be converted to the praise of your glory, and that this word would not return to you void. We pray, Father, that you would advance your kingdom through the preaching of the gospel, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, beloved, this is the word of God. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. As much as Paul talks about joy and rejoicing in this letter, which he does, he talks about this many times throughout this letter, you might, one might get think that nothing could possibly get Paul angry, that nothing could arouse his anger. He seems to be always joyful and rejoicing, which he was. And so nothing could uh, get him to show any type of strong emotion, at least negative emotion. In fact, in verse 1, he says again, rejoice in the Lord. So we see it again here in this section, rejoice in the Lord, have joy in the Lord. But if we are at all familiar with the rest of Paul's letters, not just Philippians, but the rest of his writings in the New Testament, we would know that he at times got quite emotional about certain things. And he expressed that emotion through his writings. And when I say emotional, I mean, for the most part, negative emotions. Negative emotions is what he um, revealed in some of his writings, like anger, frustration, impatience, even with what was going on in the churches. We might think of Paul writing to the Galatians, for example, saying things like this. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And also in Second Corinthians, he says this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. There, he was warning the Corinthians against these false teachers, which they were apparently being tempted to believe. And here, also in the Philippians, in this section in Philippians, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, in Philippians, this harsh language is somewhat jarring because it comes right after the exhortation from Paul in verse 1 to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, He repeats it again, rejoice in the Lord. Then he says, look out for these horrible people, these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh. Now, before we get into this, we should understand that when we see such coarse language in Paul's writings, it's there for good reason. Paul was not one to fly into fits of anger for no good reason at all. In fact, that's the mark of a, a good elder, the requirements for an elder, that he would not be violent but gentle. He's not prone to being thrown into fits of anger for no substantial reason. This was not Paul. Rather, Paul was justified in his frustration, in his indignation, in his anger at times. In both the Corinthian passage and the passage from Galatians, it appears that the members of the churches were being tempted to believe and to follow false teachers. They were actually being drawn into false teaching. And they were being drawn into the lies coming from false teachers. And so he got quite emotional. He got quite upset, quite angry even at times because they were believing these things. If they were to do this, the churches, the members of the churches, then they would be running the risk of falling into a spiritual catastrophe. Paul cared for them. If they began to believe these things, they would be putting themselves in spiritual danger. And so he uses harsh language at times to get their attention. If you saw your friend, a close friend friend of yours, distracted by his phone and was about to inadvertently walk in front of a speeding bus and flatten him because he was not paying attention, you would not simply casually tell him to look out. You would not withhold your emotions at that point. His life is in danger, so what would you do? You would say, stop, look up. You would call out his name. He's, he's about to die, possibly. This is, what, this is where this emotion comes from, from Paul. He cares about the church. He cares about what they might be tempted to do, what might, they might be tempted to believe, and so he wants to get their attention. Look out, beware of these people. Beware of this type of teaching. Now, this is something of what Paul was doing here. There's no evidence, though, that the Philippians were anywhere close to the kind of state that the Galatians were in or that the Corinthians were in. There's no evidence that they were close to believing in false teaching. But he did want this church to be aware of them, to beware of them. He says, look out. He repeats it three times. Now, this is not a casual call. Again, it is a stern warning about false teaching. And so he tells them to look out, beware, look out, be warned. It's out there, and you are prone to temptation. And so look out for it. Now, like any good preacher, Paul begins this section by saying, finally, as if he were about to conclude when he actually wasn't about to conclude. He has much more to say. After this. And so he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, Paul is essentially saying here, bear with me for a moment in repeating myself. It is safe for you to hear this. Or we could say it like this it is good for you to be reminded of this in order to be safe. And so bear with me for a moment as I repeat myself and remind you of these certain things here. Now, what was repeated here? Well, we're not, it's not entirely clear. It may be that he was referencing the opposition that he mentioned in chapter 1. Remember there he said, do not be frightened by your opponents. Maybe the opposition that he was talking about there were the false teachers that he talks about here. Although Paul does seem to be talking about a possible form of opposition here. He says, beware of them. It doesn't seem like they've already entered into the church. They had not arrived yet, but they were out there. Chapter 1, however, seems to be talking about a present opposition. Maybe it was coming from the Roman government or the Roman culture. He says, do not be frightened by your opponents that are presently there. And so it may have been the false teaching that uh, he's repeating himself about here, but not likely based upon what's here or it could be that what is repeated is the call to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord in the midst of suffering. Rejoice in the Lord even as you look out for false teaching. Rejoice in the Lord. Whatever Paul was talking about is being repeated, these same things. It's nevertheless it's good. It's safe for us. It's good for us to hear these things. It's it's a good thing in general apart from what we have here, to be reminded of things over and over again because we often uh, forget. And so it's good for us to hear this overall message. Rejoice in the Lord as you watch out for false teaching and the false teachers who bring it. That's the message. Now, it might seem contradictory to think that we should arm ourselves against spiritual opposition like this with joy. That may not be the first thing that comes to your mind when you're hearing the words, look out, beware. You may not think, I need to be joyous in the Lord in order to be where," But joy in this context should not be foreign to us. And having joy, even in the midst of something like this, should not be foreign to us. Nehemiah faced all kinds of opposition in leading the work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, which you can find out in the book of Nehemiah, find out about in the book of Nehemiah. He had all sorts of opposition coming against him. He was trying to reestablish unity among the church at that time. After much of the work was finished, they read from the law, and Nehemiah told his people after that, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so on some level then, to have joy in the Lord is to arm yourself against opposition of all kinds. Or we might think of Psalm 21. This is of David. David says, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. And so there is strength to be had from rejoicing in the Lord. There is a measure of spiritual resources to be tapped into there if we rejoice in the Lord. There is strength to be found there. A strength that is needed. We need strength to do what Paul says to do here. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, the repeated command here to look out or watch out is a command to guard ourselves against false teaching. That is what is in view. Watch out for this. Heresy, deceptive leaders, teachers, they're always present. They will always be a threat to the church. Now, why do you think this church and us today would need to have this command repeated? Why would would Paul need to repeat this over and over again? Look out. Look out. Beware. Beware watch out. It is because we are sometimes prone to being deceived. We are prone to being deceived by false teachers. Often these men and sometimes women are incredibly talented. They're very smart. They bring a lot to the table. They write books. They speak very well. They're charismatic, whatever it may be. In fact, we just heard from that passage from Corinthians that Satan disguises himself as an angel of the light. And so there's something attractive to them. They look like angels of light to us on the outside. And so like a costume, these false teachers appear on the outside to be something they're not. They appear to be someone who can give you benefit. That can, and to give teaching that can benefit you spiritually. That's the appearance they give on the outside. Paul says, do not be drawn into their deception. Now, in order to fully understand the dangerous attraction that the, the, the false teachers in Paul's day had, we need to figure out who they were. Who were these false teachers that Paul was talking about in particular? Well, he calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. Now, today, if we called someone a dog or if we we're talking about someone and we say they're like a dog or they're an evildoer, we would most likely be referring to their immoral behavior, would we not? And no doubt that in a certain sense, the immorality of these people is in view. There, there were certain to be some immorality present among these evildoers. Paul does, in fact, call them evildoers. It's hard to get around the, the name evildoer and not think about immorality or wicked behavior. But in this context, these terms, taken together, they refer to people who are outside the covenant community of God. They are outside the covenant. They are not accepted. They are godless. They are pagans. They have not been adopted into the family of God. They lack faith in Christ. And because of this, they are like the Gentiles of old, the Gentiles of the old covenant. They had no God, they, had, they did not have the promises of God, they did not have the law of God, and therefore they were immoral because of those things. But the point that Paul is getting across here, I think, is that they are out. these people he's talking about are outside the covenant community. When Jesus said to the Syrophoenician woman, she was a Gentile woman in the Gospels, she said, he said to her, it is not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Now, she was looking for mercy from Jesus. She was looking for healing from Jesus for a member of her family. And Jesus, as we know from what we're told in the gospel, we're told that he was sent primarily to the lost sheep of Israel. He was sent in his mission to retrieve the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The gospel, of course, mercy of God would go out to the Gentiles, but That would come later in its fullness, after Christ died. At this point, though, in his ministry, he could say things like this. It's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Who are the dogs? It's those outside of the Jewish religion, the Syrophoenicians, like this woman was. He wasn't talking necessarily about her immoral behavior. He was talking about her religious status. She was a Gentile. And at that point, it was not right to give the bread to the dogs. And then, of course, many of you know how that story ended. She said, yes, but dogs take crumbs. I'll take the crumbs from the table. And Jesus commended her on her faith, her strong faith. And so that whole event was really meant to convict the Jews of their unbelief. But when he called he basically referred to her as part of the dogs. He was talking about those outside of the Jewish community. She was a non-Jew. She was outside the covenant. And so those characteristics of her religious status alone, they should have made her immoral. She should have been immoral like the Jews were, and yet here she is with strong faith, being perfectly happy, receiving the crumbs from the table. Whatever, you, whatever I can get, Lord. And Jesus says, how great is your faith? And so again, to be a dog here in this context is to be someone who's outside the covenant community. Now these false teachers here were most likely Jews. They were most likely Jews who wanted to impose the religious rights of the Jewish scriptures onto Gentiles, namely circumcision. That's why he calls them mutilators of the flesh. They were Jews who had been circumcised and were now telling Gentiles who were coming into the covenant community, you have to be circumcised. You have to be circumcised in order to truly be a part of this community. You have to be circumcised in order to be truly saved, to be accepted with God. That's the message that they were giving. You must be circumcised. You must adhere to these Jewish rights that we have, that you don't have if you want to be part of this body. If you are not circumcised, you are not in our community. That was essentially the message that they were teaching. To put it another way, these false teachers were promoting a religious based on everything external. So in that way, they were teaching confidence in the flesh. You can earn your salvation before God. You can be accepted by God by purely external actions, namely circumcision. Now there's an attraction here. This is why Paul is bringing this up because of social pressure. These are Jews. The Gentiles are new to the game. They're surrounded by all these quote-unquote spiritual people who are part of the Jewish community and they've got numbers behind them and they're telling the Gentiles that they need to be circumcised and they're saying, if you're not, you are outside the community. Nobody wants to be excluded from the community. You want to be accepted, right? And so there's a temptation there to be drawn into this thinking. There's also the perversion of truth that comes from false teachers like this. Circumcision was a good thing. It was a good thing for Jews. It was a sign and seal in the old covenant of God's grace to them. They were commanded to circumcise their children. And so it was a good thing. It was a holy thing and it set apart the people of God for a time. It was a sign associated with the old covenant. And it was a sign given to those inside the covenant community. Abraham, justified by faith, received the sign and the seal of that faith by being circumcised, and he also had his children circumcised, his sons. But circumcision, among other things, in the Old Covenant, of course, was a preview of something greater, something deeper. For circumcision, that religious rite, foreshadowed The circumcision of Christ. Christ was cut off from the land of the living when he was crucified. That was his crucifixion, or that was his circumcision, rather. And so circumcision as a sign, as a good thing in the Old Testament, pointed to something much, much better. The circumcision of Christ on the cross. And he did that So he went through that circumcision so that Gentiles might be made part of God's covenant community. And so the only obligation in the New Testament then, because Christ has died and was raised, the only obligation to be part of the community of God's covenant people is faith in Christ. That's it. That's the requirement. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are accepted with God. You are part of the covenant community. You are part of His family. Faith in Jesus Christ. That is what is required. There is a new event, a new movement in history. It's the the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ in this present age. And so with the work of Christ on the cross as He fulfilled the law, what did He do? He did away with those aspects of Jewish law, circumcision, animal sacrifices. He's fulfilled them. He's done away with them. They're no longer needed because Christ has died and was raised. Now, what do we have? New signs. Baptism, a bloodless sign that comes not only to the boys in a family, but to the girls as well. And not just to Jews, the Gentiles. Whoever has faith in Christ and their children. The Lord's Supper is a new sign given to, given to the covenant community of God's people. And therefore, for anyone to try and impose this external right, this merely external act, circumcision, as the only way to God and his people, Paul says elsewhere that that nullifies the grace of God revealed in Christ. It eliminates it. It evaporates it. It destroys it. And we'll look at this more. To demand in any fashion that people must go through an external right purely in addition to or even apart from faith in Christ is to nullify the work of Christ. And it is false teaching. And the last time I checked, that is blasphemy. I think you can see now why Paul is worked up at times about these things. It is a direct assault on Jesus Christ and what he's done. It's not to be toyed with. It's not to be played with. Look out. Watch out. Any religious system that imposes a salvation by works of the law nullifies Christ. Watch out for it. I hope, again, I think we can see now why Paul gets into this mode at times. We have Christians believing things like this. Christians believing that they, they have to be circumcised. Otherwise, they're not in the community. Paul calls these people mutilators of, the fl- mutilators of the flesh. In demanding circumcision, they were acting more like pagans. Pagans practiced all types of self-harm, self-mutilation in their godless religious practices. And so Paul says, you're more like them. You're more like pagans harming themselves before their dead idols. To put it bluntly, Paul was saying that these so-called Judaizers, and that was the name that they were were given, these so-called Jews who boasted in their Jewishness, boasted in their circumcision as signs of being included among God's people, in their very boasting of these things, they showed that they were actually outside the covenant. By their boasting in their Jewishness, by their boasting in their circumcision, by their trying to impose external rights on the church, they showed that they were the ones outside. They were the ones who were not adopted. They were not part of God's people. They were not true sons of Abraham. Now, who is? They were the dogs. You see that there. Well, who is? Who is part of the covenant community? If they're the dogs, who is? Well, it's all those who trust in Christ alone for salvation. What a beautiful message that is. Simple. Anyone can understand it. Children can understand this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be accepted by God. As Paul says here, we glory in Jesus Christ. That's who's in That's who's part of the covenant community. We do not put confidence in merely external things. We do not trust in our tradition. We do not trust in our good works. We do not trust in our family history. We do not trust in our social status. We do not trust in our politics. All of that, all of it, is confidence in the flesh. That is not what we trust in. We trust in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, We trust in Christ crucified. We put our faith in Him and in the sufficiency of His blood and in nothing else. That is what false teachers do. They spurn the work of Christ, they spurn the sufficiency of the blood of the God man spilled on the cross in all its forms. And so with this distinction in mind, about what Paul is talking about, the dogs, mutilators of the flesh, they're the ones outside the community because they bring this false teaching into the church. Faith in Christ, trusting in his work, this is what Christians do. Those who believe in Christ, seek to serve him, to obey him, whether Jew or Gentile, Christians can say with Paul here, we are the circumcision." We are the people of God. Jews and Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? Now, we may not feel the force of to say something like this 2,000 years from this letter, but I guarantee you to say something like this to people who are surrounded by a Jewish community so close to Christ's crucifixion, so close to the way they practice things for thousands of years, To say that we are the circumcision and they are not, that would have been a very powerful thing indeed. But that is who we are. We are the ones set apart by God. We are God's children. We are Abraham's seed. We are the holy ones. We are not these false teachers, not those who would prescribe works of the law or external works in order to be saved. That runs right up against what we believe and actually threatens it. We are the circumcision. We are God's covenant people. Not because of anything we have done, but because, not because of anything in us, but only because of what Christ has done and because of who he is. And so faith in Christ, the new covenant community, it excludes any promotion of religious externalism, confidence in the flesh. It denies it completely. Do this and you are in. Do this and you will be saved. Don't do this and you are out. Don't do this and you won't be accepted with God. That's externalism. And that is abruptly and immediately denied by the true Christian message, message, which is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We trust in what another has done not what we do we glory in Christ Jesus now finally I'm going to say it (laughs) finally I do hope I'm actually getting to the end Uh, one might say are we then called to do anything doesn't this type of religion promote passivity we glory in Christ Jesus he's done it all do we have to even do anything well, no, Paul shows us what our lives are characterized by. We worship by the Spirit of God. Circumcision was an act of worship in the Old Covenant. It was one of the ways that God's people honored him, that glorified him. But that circumcision was always to be accompanied by an inward circumcision of the heart. It was to be accompanied by living, active faith in God's promises and in the Messiah to come. It didn't, it didn't do anything, necessarily. It was faith in the Messiah to come that was what set God's true people apart. The true members of God's community were those who trusted not in their circumcision, but in the word of God and his promised Messiah. And so by faith, the sacrifices, the priesthood, circumcision, all the ways in which God's remnant of true believers glorified God, magnified his mercy. That is what was taking place. They were worshiping God by the Spirit of God. That's how he was glorified. And that is what these false teachers were using in their argument. Be circumcised. Follow Jewish laws. That is true worship. And on some level, it was true. That statement is true for, it was true for a time. They were worshiping God, the true followers of God. They were worshiping God through circumcision. But those times are past because of what Christ has done. Now, friends, we are justified by faith in Christ alone. And this faith is given to us by the Spirit of God, so we have the Spirit. False teachers and those who follow them do not. We worship in our assemblies. We worship God, as Jesus said in another place, in spirit and in truth. And therefore, by abiding by the commands of Scripture and how we worship each Lord's Day, we are worshiping by the Spirit. We worship God by the Spirit when we follow His commands that are given to us in the spirit-inspired word on how to worship. This is what we do in our assemblies each week, and this is the reason why we have what we have in our, our worship service. These things, these elements aren't random. The Lord's Supper, for example, is a command from God. It's a way in which we worship by the spirit of God in our gathered assemblies, and so this is, we would call this the regulative principle of worship. We decide, we worship God in our gathered assemblies by how God commands us to worship him in, in his word. But there's more to this, friends. We worship by the spirit of God now in our, in our assemblies, in our gatherings on the Lord's day. But there's six other days of the week that we have to live, right? This is just one day. When we are given faith by the Spirit, the Spirit makes us into a new creation. We are a new creation in Christ. And thus, in the power of the Spirit, our whole lives are lived to the glory of God. And therefore, our whole lives, in a sense, are worshipful. We worship, yes, on the Lord's Day, for an hour in gathered worship, unlike anyone else, because we have the Spirit. We follow His Word and worship. But we worship God by the Spirit every other day of our life as we offer our bodies up to him in worship as living sacrifices. And so it's not just what takes place here. It's what takes place within God's covenant community throughout the rest of the week. And that's what makes us God's people. That's what, that's what characterizes us. And so back to the question, well, do we do anything? Are we called to do anything if Christ has done it all? Of course We do. We do it in the power of the Spirit. We're new new creatures. We want to do that. But we do it knowing it doesn't save us. We don't trust in those things because we fail. Again, we're going to look at this some more in the coming weeks. But this is what it means to worship by the Spirit of God. That we trust in Christ alone for salvation. Therefore, because of what He has done, Because of what God is doing in us presently and will do by the Spirit, we are the circumcision. We are the ones who worship God by the Spirit of God. Those who would bring some other kind of teaching besides the simple gospel message, they are the ones outside. They're the ones worshiping dead idols. lives, the heretics, are characterized then by doing evil. Ours are characterized by worshiping God, by the Spirit of God, that Jesus Christ might be glorified. Now, knowing all of this about ourselves, friends, I think it gives us good and firm reason to rejoice in the Lord always, which is what Paul began this section with. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forever. Let's pray together, friends. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the deposit that you've given the church, the deposit of the gospel, this precious treasure uh, that is priceless, that cannot be purchased, but has been given to the church to protect, to guard against false teaching and to teach in its purity and its fullness and its simplicity. And so we pray, Father, that you would help the church to do this. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to beware of false teachers and not to be tempted Uh, by the false teachings that come to us by way of their writings, by way of their speeches. And and Father, we do pray that you would help us all to truly to trust in Jesus Christ alone. To trust in Him alone for salvation and to understand that because of what He has done, because of who who He is and who we are in Him, that we are the holy people of God, the circumcision, Abraham's true seed. Father, do this good work in your people to the praise of your glory. Father, we do pray for the nations of the world, for our missionaries whom you've sent in. We pray, Father, that they would worship by the Spirit of God and that your grace would be upon them. Father, be with our home uh, missionaries, our church planters, and all those who labor to raise up new church plants. Father, bless them and keep them. We pray for our civil leaders. We pray, Father, that you would be merciful to them and grant your grace to them that they would serve in keeping with Uh, your holy laws, that they would serve in a manner that would provide for the gospel to go forth unhindered, without any obstruction. We pray, Father, that you would be with the church, that she would remain faithful to her calling in the midst of a, a crooked and perverted generation. Father, we do pray for the needs of our church. We pray, Father, that you would bless Providence Presbyterian Church and all of our members. Father, we pray that you would richly provide for us all that we need to enjoy and that we would be content with what you give. And be generous and ready to share with all. Father, we lift up to you those who face trials of various kinds. We pray for those with cancer this morning. We pray for Jim Witt, Jim Witt, William Scott, for John Burleson. Father, we pray for Dorothy and Kay, Joyce, and for Jean, Hal, Alan, Cornelia. We pray for Hikari and Rosalie. We pray, Father, that you would bless the elderly among us and that you would uh, draw near to them. Remind them, O oh God, that Their inner person is being renewed day by day and help them to worship you by the Spirit of God. Father, we lift up to you those who grieve as we pray for the family of Eileen Vandalee and for Arlene Rogers. We pray, Father, that you would comfort them by your scriptures, by the gospel, and by your spirit. We pray, Father, that you would show compassion to them. We thank you for the faith that you've given these uh, ladies and we thank you that they are at home with the Lord. And We pray, Father, that you would wipe away every tear from our eyes we mourn their loss. Father, we lift up to you those who have specific needs. We pray for the Okorafors who are looking for a home. We pray for the Broccolos who continue to serve their daughter Autumn and one another. Father, we pray for Iona Engelbrecht. She approaches the time of her surgery. For Claire Deasing, Diane Reardon, for the Jerry and Kyle Nielsen, and for Linda Nelson. Father, give them physical strength and spiritual strength through all that they face. Father, we pray for our work in Ukraine, for those uh, churches are experiencing much suffering and persecution. We lift up to you our expectant mothers. We pray for Amanda Potts. We pray for Chris Duby and her family and for the Milam's and for Kay Johnson and her family and Eileen's family. Father, bless them all as they uh, grieve, but we pray that you would help them to grieve as those who have hope, for we do not grieve as those who do not have hope. Father, we lift up to you the Agrons this morning. We thank you for the faith and that you've given to them. We thank you, Father, for Val and Jeanette, Johan, Bea, and Samantha, for their many years of service at this local body. We pray, Father, that you would abundantly provide for all of their needs. Continue to unite their hearts together in love. We pray that you would knit their hearts together, that they would serve one another in love for Val and Jeanette in their marriage and as they lead their children and for their children as they seek to humble themselves before their parents. Father, we pray for Johan in California and for Bea in uh, the Northeast, we pray that you would bless them and draw near to them and provide for all of their needs. We pray for Samantha as she finishes school. Father, thank you for the Agrans. We pray that you would fill our hearts with compassion, that we would serve them and continually pray for them. Father, we thank you that you hear and answer our prayers and that we can trust in you for all things. For we commit all of these things unto you through our Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, beloved, if you would now uh, turn to page, uh, or let us, as the deacons come forward, let us now... Uh, Uh, Take up the collection as the opportunity for us to uh, respond to the gracious message of the gospel with our free and gracious and generous giving. May the Lord be pleased to use our sacrifices for his wise ends. Amen. Now, turn in your Trinity Hymnals, page 851, if you need to do so. There you'll find the Apostles' Creed, which we will profess as a confession of our faith in the gospel, and let us all stand together as we do so, friends. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. If you would not turn in your hymnals to Psalm 125, all those who trust the Lord, Psalm 125. He I would like to invite you now to turn to uh, Hymn 196 at the Lamb's High Feast we sing for our final hymn, Hymn 196, and you would remain uh, seated for the first couple of stanzas during this time we will receive the deacon's collection, so please remain seated uh, for the first couple of stanzas while we receive the deacon's collection, 196. Amen. The friends of God, receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.